turn to God's Word. If you want to follow along, tonight we're in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and we're actually at the very end of Philippians chapter 4. Tonight we're kind of finishing it out. Tonight we're really looking at verses 14 through to 23, but we'll read all of chapter 4. Philippians 4. This is God's word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Uria and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word and we give thanks to him for it. Let me pray and ask for God's help as we think about these verses. As tonight we think about 
this gospel partnership that we're called to, gospel partnership in Christ. Let me pray. Father, as we get to the end of this book of Philippians, we have much to give thanks for, for we have met with you and you have shaped us and changed us as a result. And so tonight we pray that these words with which the book of Philippians ends will have a lasting impact on our hearts. And not just a lasting impact on our hearts, but might have a lasting gospel impact right across the world as it shapes how we think about gospel partnership, both at home and abroad. Father, we ask for your help this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you will know that before I went off the train with the Presbyterian Church as a minister, that I worked for Scripture Union, Scripture Union Northern Ireland, as a schools worker, an E3 schools worker down in Fermanagh. And what that looked like was you were going around schools and you were teaching the Bible in schools, lots of assemblies, school assemblies, worked in about 35 different schools across the county and into Tyrone a little bit in Five Mile Town, and opening up the Bible with boys and girls and with school staff, that was just part of the, the, the daily privilege that I had as, uh, as I did that. But one of the key parts was working alongside volunteers, volunteers that came in and, uh, and, and helped you with RE lessons or helped run a, a scripture union club at lunchtime or, or after school or working with um, uh, young people who were leading within the, the scripture unions. And so you kind of had a, a pretty good lens as to what was happening within all of these different schools. And it gave you a, a unique place to be able to give some insight into those who were partnering with you in prayer. And so at the end of each month, what I would do is I'd sit down to write my monthly prayer news. And you'd uh, take some time to think about what was coming up in the month ahead, uh, listing lots of the school engagements, the, the assemblies, the RE lessons, different things that you're going to be involved in so that people could be praying for them. But you'd also be listing other specific things that you could say, well, here's something really helpful to be praying for at the moment. Here's something that's happening within schools at the moment. Here's something that is linked to education that would be really helpful that you could pray into. And you'd sit there, you'd type it all up, and then you'd hit the send button. And it would go out to all of those who had signed up to receive your, your monthly uh, prayer letter. Now, as someone who spent the majority of my time actually on my own in the office in, in, in Fermanagh, sometimes we had, uh, had uh, interns there, but most of my time over the eight years was on my own in the office when I wasn't actually in schools. This monthly rhythm of sending out prayer requests and a prayer newsletter to lots of supporters, and then hearing back from a few of them as they'd respond and click uh, reply to the emails was really helpful. It was really helpful because it reminded me that I was not on my own, that this was a partnership, that there was many other people involved in this gospel partnership as you got to open up the Bible and share the good news of the gospel with boys and girls and children in schools. The ministry that I was involved in was a gospel partnership, and there was a real sense of partnership. When you looked at those who were giving, and giving often really sacrificially, the amounts that they were giving, in order to allow the project to continue, there was another real sense of partnership. We are in this together. Tonight, as we draw to the end of the book of Philippians, I really want us to focus on Gospel partnership, gospel partnership, gospel partnership in Christ. 
in which we see here Paul and this church in Philippi enjoy. They enjoy a gospel partnership. Remember who Paul is writing to? We saw that right at the very start in chapter one. He's writing to a group of saints, a group of Christians, a group of people who, like him, are in Christ. In Christ. They have been saved by Christ, and they are now letting this new life live out, flow out in their, in their daily lives. This new life in Christ. And part of this new life in Christ leads to gospel partnership. Gospel partnership. So what are some of the things that these verses teach us this evening about gospel partnership? Well, firstly, notice that gospel partnership is a two-way relationship. It's a two-way relationship. It's both giving and receiving. Now, remember um, last week, we finished off with Paul's famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Alistair really helpfully reminded us that this is not some sort of uh, self-help verse that says that you can do anything you want as long as you maybe pray and ask God to help you with it. No, verse 13 of Philippians cannot be divorced from its context, okay? Context is really key when it comes to reading the Bible. Remember uh, being taught uh, many, many years ago that when you take text out of context, all that you're left with is con, okay? Text out of context and you're left with a con. Basically, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. Context is really key to understanding how to read the Bible. And Philippians 4.13 is not a message that says that you can do all things with God's help as some sort of superman or, or superwoman figure, as if you can defy gravity and, and uh, all of the, the limits that come with our, our, our flesh and our minds. No, this is a verse about contentment. What is this verse saying? It's saying that we can be content whether we have lots or whether we have little. This is the all things that we do through Christ that it's talking about here. It's talking about contentment. Well, it's after Paul has just addressed contentment that he then continues in encouraging the Philippians in their kindness shown towards him. Notice that Paul's learnt contentment doesn't mean that Paul is someone who thinks that he must walk this journey alone and kind of reject any advance of people who might seek to help him and support him in his ministry. No, absolutely not. His contentment with plenty or with lack. He's content with either, isn't he? Paul is thankful for the Philippians' kindness. He's thankful that they have shared in his trouble. And this kindness has left its mark on Paul. You spot that? Paul has not forgotten. Listen to these verses, verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. This church has a, is a church that's been supporting him over the, the long term. In fact, it's about a 10-year span that they've been uh, supporting him. And Paul has not forgotten their partnership. 
He's not forgotten their partnership. When other churches were not on board, this church was on board. They were there. And it doesn't seem like it's a one-way thing. Sure, it doesn't. Notice how he talks of in this partnership with me in giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. You see, true gospel partnership is never just, it's never just a one-way thing. It's never just a one-way thing. In partnership, there is a giving, but there's also a receiving. And if you've ever been involved in gospel partnership, well, then you will already know that that's the case. I think of um, serving alongside some of you um, in, in the Holy Bible Club last summer. And there we, we come together and we have a gospel partnership. We all give up our, our evenings and come together in order to, to work hard to share the gospel with many different boys and girls in the, in, in the surrounding area. It's a gospel partnership. We're, we're investing, we're giving, but boy, do we receive. You get to the end of a week like that and you think, wow, what a privilege that was to serve with brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to do it together, to watch on as they use their gifts, to see their gifts and being, being used in, in all the different ways, some of them quietly serving in the background, some of them up front, some of them singing, some of them dancing, some of them doing uh, talks, all sorts of different ways. And you get to the end of a week like that, lots of giving, yes, but what have you done? You've received much, haven't you? And you go home encouraged, lifted up in your faith. Gospel partnership is one where we give, yes, but we also receive. Gospel partnership is one of giving and receiving. And we'll see that a little bit more as we work on through the passage. But gospel partnership is also a lucrative long-term investment. Now, once you say lucrative long-term investment, lots of heads start to sit up. I see that in uh, verse 17. Have, have a look with me. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Notice where Paul's focus is. Have a look. Where is his focus? His focus is not actually on the gift itself. Remember, Paul has... Indeed, already learned to be content with whatever he has. But Paul's focus is actually on the benefit to his gospel partners who have given the gift. He says he seeks the fruit that increases to their credit. Their credit. Paul is saying that their investment in gospel ministry is producing fruit. And that's being accredited to them. It's as if it's been accrued to their account. That's where the record's going, not with Paul, but actually with them. And it's financial language that's being used here. It's business language. It's saying, look, by investing here, by investing in long-term partnership, what you're getting is long-term rewards, great long-term rewards. This is an investment fund that you as a church want to keep investing in. Why? Because it really does pay off well. It is a lucrative long-term investment. Now, I know that some of you spend a lot of time thinking about your investments. You take a lot of time and consideration when you think about how you might invest your money. Perhaps you study the markets. You look at the possible returns, uh, depending on how you invest it. You are seeking to be prudent with how you invest your money so that it will work hard for you. And Paul is speaking to those in the church in Philippi who have sent the gift, and he is encouraging them. 
And he is saying this, you have invested well. You have invested well. You see, Paul is really just echoing the teaching of Jesus at this point, isn't he? Listen to, to these words of Jesus. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Do you want a safe investment? Do you want one that's guaranteed to pay back really good, lucrative dividends? <laughs> then invest in gospel partnership. Invest in gospel partnership. That word increases in verse 17, really carries with it the idea of abounding or, or even superabounding, like, like this ridiculously good reward for the investment. It's not just a good return. This is a great return, a great return, and it's guaranteed, guaranteed long-term rewards. You see, for the Christian who understands that giving to God for the furthering of his kingdom with the right motives really brings guaranteed returns in heaven, well, then it really does motivate you, doesn't it? It really does motivate you to give generously, even, even to give sacrificially to the point where you may lack as a result. Gospel partnership is one of giving and receiving. Gospel partnership is a lucrative long-term investment. Uh, thirdly, gospel partnership encourages gospel workers and it pleases God. It encourages gospel workers and it pleases God. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's need has been fully met, fully met. But more than that, it has been exceeded. Now, what an encouragement that must have been to Paul. It wasn't just that he had enough to, to stay alive while he gave his life in gospel service. No, he describes his provision as receiving more than full payment. More than full payment. Now, surely that must have encouraged Paul in his work. Surely that must have been an encouragement to him. Not just enough to survive, not just enough to scrape through, but actually more. More. More than enough. He has seen his heavenly father provide for him, not just giving him exactly what he needs and no more, but providing in abundance. And I wonder, I wonder if we have something to learn here. I wonder if we have something to learn. Maybe, maybe we can sometimes be guilty of just giving the, the minimum, <laughs> giving just, just what we can get away with. So what's the, what's the least I can get away with that would be seen to be a, a credible amount to give? Or... When it comes to supporting someone who's given their life to full-time gospel mission, what's the least we can give them to keep them, to keep them working, but no more? 
Keep them alive, keep them working, keep them serving in the the mission field, giving themselves completely the gospel work. We want them to do that, absolutely, but we don't want them to have any extra, (laughs) no extra. We're quite happy to have the and more for ourselves, but for somebody who's given their life to gospel ministry full time, well, we want to make sure that, you know, (laughs) they're having to be very careful with every single penny. As a church, I think we're really generous. I think there's many ways in which we're really generous, but I think there's probably ways in which, for many of us, we have not given in that manner. Maybe we're, we're reluctant to, to give more. We're thinking, what's the, what's the minimum I can get away with giving? Or when it comes to supporting people in gospel ministry, well, what's the, what's the minimum we can give? Rather than thinking, how might we bless them? How might we encourage them by, by really giving them more than they even, even need? at this moment? How might that encourage them in their gospel ministry and in their gospel work? I know that for us as a family, we've really appreciated people supporting us over the last number of years, especially that kind of period where you're going through college. It's kind of like the lean period where you look at the bursary and you think, hi, yikes, how is this going to work? But what it does is it really teaches you. It really teaches you about God's provision. Because as I look back, what do we see? We see God's provision in giving us not just enough, but even more. Not just enough, but even more. Those checks that just arrive in the post from someone that maybe you you knew from many years back, and God has just placed it on their heart to, to give at a particular time. And maybe unknown to them, there was a particular need, you know, you cracked your windscreen or whatever it was, you know, something came up that week and and the money just happened to come in. And it was a real encouragement because you turn to God and give thanks to God for that person, giving thanks to God that he had moved their heart to give in such a generous way. I wonder, are there gospel workers that we could, we could be supporting more? Those who head off to train for ministry, for example, I wonder is there ways that we can support them more? And I know that this is a, a church that has a history of many people coming through it uh, who head to train for full-time ministry. I'm looking down the path, and I'm, I'm hopeful as I look out here that there's some more of you might well be heading in that path. Will you support them? Will you partner with them? Will you partner in such a way that they'll think, if I go off to train full-time, the financial side is something I won't have to worry about because I know that my church family will be entered in such a partnership that I'm not going to spend all of my time thinking, how are we going to survive next week? How am I going to look after my family? What about those who give up maybe quite high-paid jobs to come and to serve full-time in gospel partnership? What does it look like, even as a church, in terms of how we, we pay people? I'm thinking not just this church, but more broadly, think about Christian charities as well. How are, we, how are we financing those who give their time to full-time gospel ministry? Some of you are going to sit on committees, on board of, of trustees, on... Um, whatever kind of groups that maybe oversee uh, different uh, charities, and you're going to be thinking about how to, how to support and pay for those who are uh, uh, giving themselves the full-time Christian work. What would it look like to think, well, we don't just want to give them the, the minimum that will see them through, but what would it look like to actually encourage them by showing that we really do value this work and be rewarding them for that? Paul was able to say that not only had his needs been met, but he had 
more. He had more. And surely it must have encouraged him. Maybe you're thinking, Jeff, you're just pushing for a, a pay rise. That's definitely not the case, okay? Because actually none of you get to decide what I get paid. I get, I get paid as far as I know. My understanding is I get paid because some group in Belfast decide what I get paid. So John and I are actually the, the two that can talk really easily about payments here. And, and whatever you do, it doesn't really affect what we get paid anyway. So that's, that's fine. But gospel partnership encourages gospel workers and it pleases God. Look at what Paul goes on to say about how these gifts that are given with right motives are seen in God's eyes. He says they are, they are like a fragrant offering. Remember the ointment poured out on the feet of, of Jesus by Mary. In Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus said she did a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Or think of... Uh, Think of Noah after, or after God had saved him and his family from the flood. He gets off the ark. What does Noah do? Noah offered a burnt offering, and the smell was a pleasing aroma to God. A pleasing aroma. Well, here Paul teaches us that gospel partnership gifts are pleasing to God. They're pleasing to God. They are a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Don't we want to please God this evening? Isn't that one of the things that we want to do in how we live? Well, if that's the case, can I encourage you to seek out some gospel workers and enter into partnership with them? Now, this isn't always going to be through financial uh, gifts. There are many ways that you can encourage gospel workers. For some, money will be the thing that they really need, okay? That that's true. Some people, money will be the thing that they really need. Sometimes it'll be for their own personal needs, but often, often it's actually for projects that they are seeking to move forward. So we think of, um, think of Manuel seeking to be able to get a, a bigger building to fit the church family into an almanac or in Spain. Uh, just, uh, last, just last week, he sent through a, a text message with some pictures of the church family and they couldn't fit them all in. They were all like sitting around the, the, the furniture at the side of the building. Why? Because they, they were struggling for space. There wasn't seats for them all. What he needs is money, not for his own gain, but for the building project to be able to uh, get a space that will be able to allow more people to come in. Think about Sasko seeking to translate the, the Reformation Study Bible over in Poland, or, or Trevor as he's translating good Christian books in Sweden. What they do need is is money, they need cash, right? But for some, for some, the thing that they really need is someone to come alongside and serve with them, to draw alongside and serve with them. And so giving up your time to go and perhaps serve on a, a mission team, think of the, the team that heads out to, to Almanekar each, each year, that's, a, that's a, a team that really encourages them uh, as a mission uh, partnership. Those who have headed out to, to Poland, that's really encouraged them as we've done that. So sometimes that might be the case. For some it will be time, maybe not entering into partnership in terms of you coming and serving for a week, but, but actually showing a real interest in their work. Showing real interest in their work. I remember you know, when you sent off the prayer letters, generally there was maybe one or two people replied. And they replied about something specific in the prayer letter, and that showed that they'd actually read the prayer letter. <laughs> That was much better than knowing that there was hundreds of people who had 
received a prayer letter. Because you'd have a fair idea that lots of the people who may have received a prayer letter probably never opened the prayer letter. But those who had opened it, if you, if you hit respond, that will encourage them. But what about, what about taking time to, to go and visit someone? I, one of the things that uh, really struck me as I traveled around some of the, the churches in the south of Ireland, um, and my little church tour a few months back, I've mentioned that a few times, was that often that the full-time gospel workers, whether it's the minister or, or somebody else who's working in the church, often they are working and they are lonely. They are lonely and finding things difficult. Now, what would it look like to enter into a partnership where you said, you know what, I'm going to phone you once a month. I'm going to come to visit you twice a year. I'm going to take you out for lunch. And I want to hear what's happening and wherever it might be. Tell me about the work so I can pray for it, so I can encourage you. And just even taking that time, I think, would really encourage gospel workers and show that you really are entered into a gospel partnership with them. So as part of our United Appeal, one of the things that we do is we, we gather money as a church and we send it to support mission, mission in Ireland. But wouldn't it be great if we didn't just send money, but we also showed that we really do care for the individuals who are seeking to serve on the ground, sharing the gospel with many others. Fourthly, gospel partnership shows Trust in God. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. For those who give their lives to, to full-time gospel work, they're stepping out in faith. They're stepping out in faith that God really will provide for them. Sometimes there's, there's no monthly salary. Sometimes the monthly salary is very limited and it's a, real, it's a real push to be able to make it work in terms of uh, living. And so I think we can see in, in those situations, well, it's obvious, isn't it? They must trust God. They must trust God. But the surprise here is who is actually speaking. Here Paul is speaking, but he's speaking to those who are supporting him financially. It's almost the opposite of what we might expect, isn't it? We might think it would be the other way around. <laughs> they would be writing, saying to Paul, don't worry, God will meet all of your needs. But no, it's, it's Paul who's writing to them, saying, no, God will meet all of your needs. It's Paul who's writing back to the church family, who have been supporting him in ministry, in the gospel. You see, unless you're trusting that God will provide, unless you're trusting that God will provide for all of your needs, you will never loosen your hand to give. You will never listen your hand to give and enter into gospel partnership. For you'll always be thinking to yourself, well, I might need a little bit more. <laughs> there might be a day when, you know, that extra money would be really helpful. And so you hold on tight. Unless you really understand that God will provide for your needs, then you will not open your hand in order to give, in order to be involved in gospel partnership. It says we understand that everything that we receive is a gift from God. All we are is stewards. That changes how we hold on to our money. And rather, it frees us up to be able to give it and to give it joyfully as we seek to invest in gospel partnership. And isn't God able to supply all that we need? Is his giving towards us 
restricted in some way by his lack? I think we'd all say absolutely not. Of course not. Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian this evening, think of, think of how already there has been so many spiritual blessings poured out upon us. But isn't he also able to provide for us materially too? Aren't the cattle on a thousand hills belonging to God? Isn't it easy for God to direct one of those cows your way or to move it back? Yes, that's easy for God. It's all of his. We're just stewards. In fact, the more you look at this verse, you wonder, you wonder if the church in Philippi has been sacrificially giving in their gospel partnership with Paul to such an extent that has really left them in need. Isn't that what we read of in 2 Corinthians? Speaking of the churches in Macedonia, Paul writes, for they give according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. What an example to us, this church in Philippi are. What a model they are to us in terms of their gospel partnership and their giving. Giving to the point of lack. Giving to the point of lack for the sake of the gospel. Not out of compulsion. We see that, don't we? But they gave out of their own accord. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. They gave out of their own accord. They really, they really wanted to give to an extent where they felt the lack. They gave beyond their means. That's really sacrificial giving, isn't it? Sacrificial giving. And perhaps it's a challenge for us to give to this kind of extent where we might have to actually forego something. Forego something for the sake of the gospel. Forego something for the sake of a gospel partnership. This church in Philippi are a challenging model, aren't they? They are a challenging example. What would drive us to do such a thing? What would drive us to give to such a, a level, to such a level where we would have to forgo something, where we have to give up something, where we're really actually having to sacrifice? Well, surely it's, surely it's because they themselves are in Christ Jesus. Remember? They are saints. They are in Christ Jesus. And isn't this how Jesus himself lived? Taking the form of a servant and being obedient to the point of death. That is sacrificial living, isn't it? And doing so for the glory of God. For the Christian, they can be moved to give like this because the Spirit of God is at work in them. And they themselves are being transformed, made more and more like Christ Jesus. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Gospel partnership, gospel partnership is for the glory of God. It's the glory of God that drives the saints in Philippi. And it's the glory of God that drives Paul. See, the reason that we can enter into partnership is the fact that we are united in Christ. 
That's what drives them. The Spirit of Christ is at work in them, having saved them, and is now continuing to sanctify them. And for, the, for that reason, their, their love for God and their love for their neighbor is, is lived out in seeking to see the gospel advance. And actually, this, this unity that comes from being in Christ is really the way that Paul finishes up his letter. Listen to these last three verses. Verses 21 to 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers here with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What an intriguing way to finish. What an intriguing way to finish. Paul, Paul actually says to those whom this letter is addressed, now, if you look back at the start of chapter 1, we'll see that that's all of the saints in Philippi, just another way of saying all of the Christians in Philippi. And Paul doesn't say, I greet you. Look at what he says. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. See that in verse 21? Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is not Paul saying, I greet you. This is Paul saying to the church, you go and greet each other. You go and greet each other. And it's not just one of those kind of awkward moments when the minister at the front says, can everyone turn around and, you know, greet the person who's either in front or behind you, you know, we all like, ah, no. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That's you moving around the whole church building, speaking to and greeting every single person who's part of the church family. Greet every saint. Syntica, Yudia, do you remember that falling out? Now I want you to go and greet each other. I wonder how that's going to go down after the service as these two ladies go to each other. Now, why on earth would they do that? Why on earth would they do that? Well, it's because they are united in Christ. They cannot stay opposed to each other. They cannot stay in opposition to each other, for the gospel is at stake, and it does not bring glory to God. There is something about being in Christ that that brings us together brings us together, not just individuals in a congregation like this, but it brings us together from congregation to congregation right across the world. It brings us together. And so we, we see that as brothers who are with Paul, they, they send their greetings. And in fact, so do all of the saints here with Paul. They're all in Christ. There's this pulling together. There's this partnership that happens because you're in Christ. But notice he says, especially those of Caesar's household. What do we see? We see the gospel is advancing. Even within the house of Caesar, even within the the wheels of the civil service, the gospel is transforming lives. And surely, surely that must be an encouragement once again to these saints in Philippi, those who have been giving, surely as they hear that, they must be receiving, thinking, well, this is great news. There is good fruit. People are having their lives transformed, even those in the house of Caesar. Lasting fruit, 
lasting fruit that has come from their gospel partnership with Paul. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul's final words to this congregation is a a benediction. He pronounces it a blessing, one that reminds them again of the grace of God, the unmerited and undeserved favor of God, and how that's the only reason that they can be called saints. And it's this grace, this grace, that they need each day to be able to live as God's people. Gospel partnership is one of both giving, yes, but also receiving. Gospel partnership is is a lucrative long-term investment. Gospel partnership encourages gospel workers and it pleases God. Gospel partnership shows trust in God. And gospel partnership is for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but these are verses that leave you wanting to get involved in more and more gospel partnerships, don't they? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a joy it is to read these verses and to think about this sweet, sweet fellowship that these uh, Paul and the church in Philippi enjoy, these saints enjoy together a wonderful, fruitful gospel partnership. Lord, might you move our hearts so that more and more we want to give of ourselves and all that you have given to us to steward, our gifts, our time, our money. Might we invest it well, invest it well so that it really will pay off with long-term dividends returning to us in heaven. Lord, we pray that we might have eyes to see where to invest, where it might pay off well, and might we have the joy of seeing much good fruit in the long term. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.